The Old Testament reading for this, the 13th Sunday after Pentecost, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 29th chapter. The vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, Read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, Read this, he says, I cannot read. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, Who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should say of its maker, He did not make me? Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, He has no understanding? Is it not yet a very little while, until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, the fifth chapter. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And this is the word of the Lord. Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Mark, the seventh chapter. When the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe 
such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corbett, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? Change? It's a running joke pointed at our church, isn't it? Confessional Lutherans, the real Lutherans, not the churches that are Lutheran name only, don't like change. We like the old ways. Did you notice the dates on our hymns? The newest hymn that we've sung so far this morning was written in the 1500s. The one we just sang came from the 1200s. Talk about the classics. We cling to the old ways, the old liturgies, the old morals, the old customs. If change has to be made, we tend to form a committee to gather a task force, to poll a people, to consider a discussion, to report back to a different committee, and with any luck, everyone will have totally forgotten about the suggested change at that point already. If change does come, it usually comes gradually bit by bit, like a lumbering ocean liner, slowly, slowly, slowly changing course. But that's not the case with our world, is it? Our world is more like a jet ski, whipping around left and right and darting to and fro all willy-nilly and whatnot. I mean, think about what our culture, our society, our country was like just a decade ago. Have things changed at all? Ten years ago, if you were a man who claimed to be a woman, you'd be laughed at and possibly hospitalized because it was listed in the psychoactive disease book. Today, you're laughed at and hospitalized if you suggest that that same person is still a man, which he is. The old adage of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, That has no place in our so-called progressive society. We live more by the motto of out with the old, in with the new. Change for change's sake is all the rage. If it's been done a certain way for more than a year, well then by gum that way is automatically wrong and we need to fix it. New math, new genders, new definitions of words, new morals, new values, new coke, New Christianity, new legislation, new versions of the iPhone, new guidelines, new paradigms, new mottos and mission statements. Whatever is new and on the cutting edge, no matter how ridiculous and actually useless it is, 
It's automatically better in the eyes of our society. Don't bother thinking things through. Just change everything. Change equals progress. Change makes things better. It's all about change. And while this desperate desire for change may have accelerated lately, it's really always been this way. Ever since sin entered into this world, mankind has reveled in progress, in changing things away from how God intended them to be. What was the very first sin in the Garden of Eden? Let's change the rules. God said, don't eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. Simple. And you'd think it would be pretty easy since Adam and Eve lived in a perfect paradise filled with other trees. But what do they do? They question God's word. They change it up. They assume that they know better and that they really need to eat from that tree no matter what God said. And it's going to be much better if they do what they think rather than what God told them not to do. And it's been all downhill from there. Even as we pretend that we are now the pinnacle of history and wisdom and progress. Every rule that God has given, every commandment, every virtue, mankind has sought to change, to twist around, to make better. In the Garden of Eden, before the fall into sin, God instituted marriage. One man, one woman for the procreation of children and the building of Christian families. But man said, let's change that. Let's bring in polygamy and prostitution. And divorce. Let's redefine marriage and pretend it doesn't matter because love is love. And anyone can marry anyone else or anything else for that matter. Let's form organizations that say that God's plan of marriage is racist and that families don't need fathers and mothers. Let's treat children like a commodity. Kill the ones that we don't think we're ready for. Grow them in labs when we decide we do want them. Let's make something that anyone and everyone can do at any time and laugh at those who say otherwise. Let's change it all up because God's way is clearly dumb and we can make it better. And look where that's gotten us. See how much better off we are than we were in paradise? Ain't life grand now that divorce and living together have turned our family trees into tangled kudzu? See how great life is for kids raised without a father or bouncing from home to home to home. How peaceful and wonderful our society has become now that we've thrown away God's blueprint for the family. Isn't it wonderful now that pornography, prostitution, and casual sex have become normalized, women aren't at all treated like objects. Those were the promises that were given. Those were the lies we were fed. Turn away from the old ways of God, change everything into something unrecognizable, and life will be happier and better for everyone. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, says Isaiah whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us, who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, that the thing made should save its maker? He did not make me. 
or the thing formed say of him who formed it? He has no understanding. Should mankind regard God's word as foolishness? Should we say he doesn't get what we're going through? That we know better than he does? That he doesn't even exist? We shouldn't. And yet, we do. Not just our society. Every single one of us. You, me, everyone. We all turn things upside down and try to change God's word. We all try to change his word to fit our lives, to justify our own favorite sins. We honor God with our lips and yet disregard and despise his word, living and proclaiming the ways of the world instead. We say that we value God above all things, and yet we treat his name like trash and use it as this vulgar expletive all day long. We ridicule people behind their back, and we claim that we're just looking out for them in Christian love. We say that we die for our Christian faith, and yet we treat church like this awful burden that we'll only bear if we're not too tired, and not too hungover, and not too busy, and not too bored. We're more concerned with feeling entertained and fulfilled than hearing the truth of God's word. And if the pastor is not a great speaker, or if he goes on for too long, or if he dares speak against one of our favorite sins, well, then we're just going to go find another church that tells us what we'd rather hear. Family members are living in sin, and we don't say anything because we still want to be invited for Thanksgiving. God's word speaks clearly against our lifestyle, and we say, well, the times have changed, and we're more enlightened, and everyone else is doing it, so it's fine for us too. We look to the wicked ways of the world and we say, now that's the way you do it. We want heaven, but we yearn for the wretched, filthy, sinful ways of the world around us. And so we try to make ourselves the potter. We frantically look for loopholes. We totally change the word of God to say whatever we want to hear. And just like our society, we suffer for it. While we were promised joy and happiness and ease and luxury, the farther we move from God's holy word, the worse our lives become. Our greed and our coveting, it's never satisfied. It only grows bigger. Our gluttony is never filled because we only want more. Our lust is never gratified because we always want something newer, more exciting, more, more, more. The more that we accuse God of not understanding the more that we twist his word to fit our sinful desires, the more change we pursue, the worse our lives truly are. And yet, we continue to suffer in so many ways for the sake of change. But there is good news. The good news is God's word endures forever. It does not change from generation to generation. It does not change to fit in with the sin du jour. It does not twist and fold and flop around for our entertainment and to fit our sinful whims. And while the world says that that's just rigid and outdated and bigoted and bad and wrong, we should thank God daily, continually, that he does not change the way that we do. You know, for all the flack that we might take as Missouri Synod Lutherans for not changing... Is that really such a bad thing? 
In earthly matters, of course it's good to get with the times, to replace the old refrigerator, to enjoy indoor plumbing and LED lights. But in matters eternal, there are no times to get with. When someone laughs at you for being old-fashioned or outdated, wear that like a badge of honor, because God's word endures forever. It doesn't change. From the Bronze Age to the Space Age, God's word is permanent forever. His law does not change to gratify the sins that our society has decided are fun, and that makes us mad sometimes. But we should be grateful, because his unchanging law also means that his gospel is unchanging as well. The free gift of salvation that he gives to us wretched sinners, it doesn't change. No matter how dumb we act, no matter how far we stray from God's word, the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ remain solid, unquestionable, eternal. And all those who look to it in faith, whatever time they might live in, whatever changes might be happening in the world, they have not just a faint hope, but the absolute guarantee of forgiveness and life and salvation. As mankind seeks to change God's word to gratify our sinful desires, God promises real change. Change that actually makes things better. He says in our Old Testament reading, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far away from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore behold, I will, and you might expect a threat to be coming here. You might expect a serious smiting, a righteous and totally deserved beatdown upon God's sinful, rebellious creation. But that's not what we get. Instead, God says, Behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. God doesn't deliver wrath, but grace and mercy. He brings about real change that totally buries our ridiculous attempts to make things better. He changes us wretched sinners into his beloved children. Those who were blind to his word can now see. Those who were deaf to his glorious preaching now hear it and rejoice. He takes us feral, conniving, ungrateful beasts and he loves us, redeems us, saves us from the fires of hell that we deserve. Not by changing the rules so that we can do whatever our wicked, sinful hearts desire, but by paying the penalty of our sin in full. By suffering and dying on our behalf. By giving up everything, even his perfect, holy, and eternal life, so that we can be truly changed, can be proclaimed holy, innocent, and righteous in his sight. When Jesus Christ died on the cross... When he suffered the unimaginable agony of his crucifixion, he did so to pay your penalty in full. Every one of your transgressions, every wicked thought, word, and deed, every time that you tried to change God's word, all of it was paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. He suffered the hell that should have been yours forever. 
He cleansed you with His holy, innocent blood. He took your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. He set you free, clothed you in His own robe of righteousness, and ushered you into His eternal paradise of heaven. All because His love for you does not change. And when He rose again from the grave, that too He did for you. To give you eternal life. To open the gates of heaven to all those who look to him in faith. That's what God's word tells us. That's what it has said from the very beginning. And that's what it will continue to say until he returns again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Why, oh why, would we want to change that? What makes us think that we could possibly come up with something better than the free gift of everlasting life in heaven? What could we possibly gain by exchanging God's ways for man's? The ways of man lead only to pain and heartache, death and condemnation. But God's ways, the way of the Lord, that endures forever. And it leads to forgiveness, life, and salvation. It changes our lives in ways that we couldn't possibly imagine as our Creator and our Lord molds us like a master potter, bringing us real joy and peace and truth even amidst our suffering and our tears. And so instead of trying to change God's Word, we should rejoice that God's Word changes us, that it prunes and shapes us, sometimes with great pain, but always for our benefit for our growth, for our good. We should rejoice that God continues to speak His everlasting word of life instead of trying to change it to fit every whim and whiplash of our wicked culture. But above all, we should rejoice that God's word has changed us from hell-bound sinners into His own dear, beloved children. It's all about change. Not the change that this world desires, Not the changes that our own sinful heart chases after. It's about the eternal change. The unfathomable blessings that our merciful God and Father has so richly poured into our undeserving lives. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins. And eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.